This program is a presentation of UCTV for educational and non-commercial use only. and welcome to the second lecture of the UCSF Mount Zion Healthy Living Lecture Series. This series is a collaboration between the UCSF National Center of Excellence in Women's Health and the UCSF Osher Center for Integrative Medicine with support from the Mount Zion Health The year-long series is intended to provide you with practical and easy ways to be proactive with your health. Today, we are honored to have Heidi Engel present her talk entitled, Staying Balanced and Fit at Any Age. Heidi is a physical therapist with 22 years of experience in both inpatient and outpatient settings. And without further ado, please join me in welcoming Heidi Engel. I'd like to say that this is the easiest topic to talk about because it, I think you've probably already understood that exercise is very important and helpful to your well-being. Um, and the information is voluminous. A lot of us have already heard that. So that's easy. You know that. This talk is also really difficult to give because most of us have heard the advice but have not at all. So 60% of Americans live very sedentary lives and don't have any regular exercise um, in their uh, leisure time at all. And so my challenge really for this talk and for you is to help you make that step. So go from what you know to make it into something you understand and hopefully adopt into your routines. So I'm going to start and end with what I consider my kind of rules of exercise, the laws of exercise, and just some things to, to help inspire you, hopefully. So bone density and muscle mass are developed in your youth. So when you're going through adolescence, when you're going through your childhood, particularly ages 10 to 20, you're really developing at that point in time your bone density for life. And that really does carry over through your entire life. So if you're active in your adolescent years and you really develop good bone density and good dense muscle tissue, even if you stop being active later in life, you still have carryover, which is why exercise and sports programs are so important for the youth because you don't get that point in time back. However, you can improve upon whatever you did end up with after your adolescence um, at any point in time, in, in any age. Exercise prolongs life expectancy and reduces the risk for chronic disease, without question. Exercise is excellent preventative medicine. It's really the best health insurance policy you can give yourself. Um, and there's four components of any kind of a complete exercise program. There's the endurance aerobic part, there's strength, flexibility, and balance, and we'll talk in more detail about those later. 
even a little physical activity is better than nothing. So if currently you have a completely sedentary lifestyle, even if you adopt a habit of adding one additional walk to your day that is 15 to 20 minutes long, you will get benefits from that. You'll get some of the benefits we outline later. And the benefits of exercise are linear. And what that means is the more you do, the more you get. So with a lot of the medications that you take, there's a plateau. You just take a certain amount and you're not going to gain any more benefit by taking more of that medication or more of that vitamin or supplement. Exercise is the one thing that the more you do, the more benefit you get. The thing is, is you can't go from this point on the line to this point on the line where you're doing a lot of exercise. So if you're sedentary down here, the more you do, the more you do, the more you do, the more benefits you're going to gain. But you can't just jump from here to here. You obviously can't jump from doing nothing to doing a lot and expect it to work out well for you. You'll be injured, you'll be tired, you'll be frustrated. It's a slow, long, gradual progression to get to that greater level of exercise and greater level of benefit. Um, it's a long-term investment, but it's worth it. You want to look for full benefits. If you're new, newly starting an exercise program, you've got to give yourself 6 to 12 months of consistent training before you really see some full benefits. So I'm just trying to give you that idea of it's a long-term investment. It's a long-term program. It's not a quick pill. You want to try to cross-train, do a variety of activities to avoid injury and include the four major components that we're going to go over. You want to warm up and cool down always for your exercise programs. Um, and hydration is always important, particularly if you're older and you're starting an exercise program. Hydration is really key to think about. You just want to avoid a lot of sports drinks and energy drinks because they tend to be just actually a lot of sugar. Okay, so let's start from the beginning, when you are young. So when you are young, like I said in my uh, inspirational points, that's when you're developing your bone mineral content and density. And they're established in relationship to your body mass and your leg power. So essentially, the process of developing bone density when you're growing is a, a a factor related to how much you're using your muscles. So if you use your muscles a lot, if you exercise, if you're vigorous and active in your youth, you're going to have denser bones, greater bone density later on. Um, and those benefits, like I mentioned before, um, actually extend into adulthood, even if you stop performing your athletic activities in, in your adulthood. So youth exercise programs. Okay, and as you age, so as you age, the changes begin to happen after age 30, which to me is really remarkable because I think 30 is a pretty young age. Um, but that's when things start to change. So your body is going through a huge growth and building and what we call a, a catabolic phase through your childhood and your youth, and then you hit a plateau at about 30. And with uh, all things being equal, you start to take a very slow, gradual, downward anabolic process. So things, you start to have more breaking down going on in your body after age 30 than you do building up. So you spent your first 30 years, you always had more building up 
activities going on inside your body biochemically, then you had breaking down. Now you hit your tipping point around age 30 and you are going to automatically have more of a breakdown process going on than a building up process. Um, so most physiological functions decline 1% per year after age 30. And of course, we know that if you smoke, you're going to get older faster anyway. He's actually 50. No. Um, okay, as you age. So then as you age, your endocrine system actually stops producing a lot of hormones that really drive the engines of are you growing or are you uh, breaking down. And there are a lot of endocrine and metabolic changes that cause more of the breaking down types of hormones, the anabolic hormones, um, to uh, to slow down and growth factors to slow down. Um, you end up with metabolic dysregulation and impaired oxidative defense, um, reduced insulin sensitivity and increased expression in, of inflammatory markers. And what all of that means basically is your body is just less able to build things up. So there's less of a building process. There's less of an ability of your muscles to take the glucose your body breaks down for fuel into the muscles and use them for fuel. And there's more of a low-lying inflammatory process set up. That's pretty much a definition of aging. Musculoskeletal changes. Your bone mass will decline. You have a decrease in muscle mass and strength. Um, your metabolism slows down. The quality of the muscle tissue often is less able to contract because there's uh, bits of fat and connective tissue that now get marbled into the muscle tissue rather than just straight contractile muscle tissue. And there's cognitive changes with age. Um, the brain shrinks with age, particularly the memory sites, which is the hippocampus in the center of the brain. Your learning rates slow, and you um, are less able to process things at the same rate as when you were young. And those are just normal changes of ages. That's not accounting for any kinds of disease. And then we know that inactivity is essentially premature aging. So a lot of the changes that I just described with your body breaking down more um, and having less of a building up type of metabolism, those same changes occur if you are simply inactive. They're very parallel in what they do. Um, metabolic syndrome, which you, you might have heard uh, mentioned before in the media, is a process of insulin resistance, hypertension, hypercholesterol, and obesity. Um, and what this means is you, you essentially are replacing healthy muscle tissue with fat. And fat actually has an endocrine function. So fat is not just a storage tissue. Fat actually releases hormones. And the hormone impact of having excess adipose tissue or fat is um, what creates the insulin resistance. So you end up in quite a cycle of your muscles are now not able to utilize all the glucose that's in your bloodstream. You end up with diabetes. The diabetes leads to hypertension. And it becomes quite a sort of cyclical process that if even happens in a young person will make you prematurely old. Um, you have less muscle, less bone density. 
uh, less vascularization when you're inactive, which essentially, if you look at that, that's very similar to what I just described as normal processes of aging. It's just more rapid aging. So inactivity is rapid aging. And we in the United States are developing the health statistics of a rapidly aging population. Now, you know we have a long life expectancy. So we're, I think what we're doing to ourselves uh, with our inactivity and our sedentary lifestyle and our poor dietary habits is we're sort of creating a prematurely old population that stays somewhat old and morbid for a prolonged period of time. Um, and again, since it's related to lifestyle, you have to ask yourself, how necessary is it? Uh, there are 65.2% uh, of adult Americans are considered overweight, 60 million obese, 9 million extremely obese. 15% um, of children and adolescents are overweight, and 47 million Americans have that metabolic syndrome that I just described. So these are all people that have really entered a very premature state of aging due to their diet and inactivity. And if anybody has any questions, please interrupt me. Go ahead and ask. Okay, so what do we try to do about this? So typically with the way we um, have geared our lifestyle, we tend to go to the doctor. And we go to the doctor and we get prescriptions. So 50% of all American adults take a prescribed medication. Um, I think it's really interesting to see that 12% of our population is over age 65, but they take 30% of all prescription medications. So again, it's, it's taking a premature aging and extending it. Um, the average number of medications prescribed per year for people over 60 is 15. 66% of people over 65 take at least one prescription drug, and 90% of those over 65 experience side effects. So that's very important to know. 90% of people over age 65 experience side effects from the medications that they're taking, and the reason that's important to know is because if you know someone who's on prescription medications and is elderly and they start to develop uh, problems with balance, problems with strength, falling down, different types of medical problems, the first thing you look at is a side effect of medication because that's usually the first thing that's causing the new problems. Okay, so what else could we do instead of take prescription medications? Well, exercise is the ultimate medicine. So these are all benefits, researched, well-researched, documented uh, physiological benefits of exercise programs. And if you look at that list, improved body composition, enhanced cholesterol, improved blood glucose and insulin sensitivity, reducing blood pressure, improving autonomic tone, and what that means is improving essentially the tone of your digestive tract. Um, reducing systemic inflammation, regulating hormone levels, improves cardiac function. So these are all known benefits of exercise. And if you're in the health profession at all, you know that there is a prescription medication routinely given that tries to mimic each and every one of these, okay? So enhanced cholesterol profile, we give statins for that, right? You've all heard of Lipitor. Um, improved blood glucose and insulin sensitivity, that's what diabetes and diabetes medications are about, insulin. 
reducing blood pressure, so uh, metropolol, any kinds of the hypertension medications that a lot of people have to take. Um, improves autonomic tone. If you ever have to take anything for constipation, that's what we're talking about there. Reduce systemic inflammation. There's a lot of anti-inflammatory drugs. Regulating hormone levels. There are a lot of prescription medications um, involve hormone levels. And cardiac meds, so beta blockers, any of those things. So the, the medications are really trying to, to mimic some of the benefits that exercise can give you. And the picture here I um, really like because it shows you. So our fit man with, uh, who exercises regularly and is training well, you can see that all that blue in his leg, that's oxygen perfusion. So he has trained his body. He's made it very strong and efficient. And he's able to deliver a lot of oxygen out to his periphery, out to his legs and his feet. And you can see how thick and perfused his blood vessels are. He's a lean machine. Whereas our more sedentary, overweight person is not able to get as much rich oxygen out, as much of that nourishing oxygen out to his body um, as his better trained counterparts. Okay, and even modest improvements in fitness in previously sedentary people are associated with a large improvement in health status. So this is um, studies of people who went um, from unfit to fit over a five-year period, had a 44% in the relative risk, 44% reduction in the relative risk of death from any cause compared with people who remained unfit. So it, it is about longevity. Proven primary prevention of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, breast cancer, colon cancer, um, functional declines and falls among the elderly, and really the lists can go on to about any kind of disease or uh, body system you can think of. Now the good news is it's never too late, okay? So you reduce the mortality risk um, this is from a study where they, they enrolled uh, 2,205 men, um, and they were all aged 50 at baseline. So these were sedentary men, okay, and they were enrolled in a study, enrolled in an exercise program, and asked to be consistent with it. Um, and that's a pretty good number to study, 2,000. And the results were that after 10 years of increased physical activity, um, they had reduced their mortality risk. So one reason why I include this study in there is um, it was really nice that they started with a sedentary group that was already aged 50 and looked at the results of an exercise program. But it also highlights the point that it has to be a long-term investment. So the largest mistake people often make is they start an exercise program and then they lose interest in it and they stop. Or they start for a little while and then they stop for a little while and then they start for a little while and they stop for a little while. And then they wonder why they don't feel like they're getting more fit. And the problem is, is that, like I said before, the curve for benefits is really a long, slow, gradual curve. It takes time. It takes consistency. Um, another study that I really liked in an older population was this one uh, where they 
took people, women aged 65 to 70 and again enrolled them in a consistent exercise program. This exercise program, similar to what I'm going to outline, it, it included balance, it included strength, it included uh, aerobic fitness, so it had a little bit of everything for them. Um, and they followed them, not, not for four weeks or six weeks, but they followed them for 48 weeks. Again, realizing that to find the real benefits, you have to look long term. Um, but even when they started at age 65 to 70, even, the, even that population was able to develop greater bone mineral density, better postural stability, and, and walking. And then in terms of the changes in brain function with age, um, exercise is also very beneficial to your ability to memory, to memorize things, uh, to think, to follow complex tasks. Um, and there's a, a position paper put out by the Radiological Society of North America that showed active adults have, so that's adults who exercise consistently. Um, have more small blood vessels and greater blood flow in the brain than sedentary counterparts. Okay, so what they did was they did these functional MRIs and they took people who were regular exercisers and did the MRIs of their brain and they took sedentary people and did the MRIs of their brain um, and they essentially matched them for everything else and found that the active people had much greater blood flow in, in the regions of their brain, which is all of what brain health is. It's all about getting blood flow and oxygen on a regular basis out to, out to your brain. Um, another study had 102 sedentary people ages 70 to 89 randomized to either greater physical activity or to a simple health education program. Um, and at the one-year follow-up, again, it's a one-year follow-up, um, they had improved uh, cognitive scores that were related to their increased physical function and activity. So they were able to be more alert, focused, concentrate, memory, all improved with uh, physical exercise, aerobic exercise. Okay, in terms of intensity though, here's one of the, the sticky points. Like I said, the, the benefits are linear. The more you do, the more benefits you get. So more intense exercise is much more beneficial uh, than kind of low level, simple, easygoing walking program. And this was really illustrated in part in the Harvard Alumni Health Study where they took 17,300 healthy men um, and essentially had them filling out self-reported questionnaires uh, for 25 years. And uh, what they found out, they started at the age of 46 and followed them you know, into their 70s, that the inverse relationship between total physical activity and mortality existed across that group. Um, and the group that was more vigorous in its exercise, and I'll explain what a greater than six met exercise activity level looks like, um, was associated with longevity. So they, they didn't really find among the people who did really low level exercises a, a great benefit in terms of greater longevity, um, but they did in the people who were uh, engaged in more intensive exercise programs. 
Okay, so back to our point of exercise as preventative medicine. So if we're gonna call this, if we're gonna make a prescription for this and call it preventative medicine, um, then we need to look at the intensity, the mode, the frequency, um, and the dosage, just like you would do in any other kind of medication. So how hard should you be working? Uh, what type of exercise should you be doing? How often and how compliant are you gonna be able to be? And that's really key because if you start something very ambitious and you can't do it over a real prolonged period of time consistently over and over again, um, you won't gain the benefits. So let's get a, a better handle on aerobic exercise dosing. Uh, aerobic capacity is a measure of how efficient you are with utilizing oxygen. So it's, measured, it's a measure of how much oxygen you're able to take in with each breath and send out to the muscles again, send out to the working parts of your body. Uh, and it's measured in milliliter kilograms per minute. So it's a measure of how much oxygen per unit of body weight per time. Um, and an average adult at rest needs about 3.6 milliliter kilograms per minute just for your regular baseline metabolic function. So what they've done is they've said one metabolic equivalent, what we measure the intensity of aerobic exercise in, one met equals that baseline metabolic rate. There you are, lying down, sedentary, doing nothing. And that's one met. Okay, so now if we look at how much capacity, aerobic capacity people typically have, so how well your heart and lungs are working, how well your heart and lungs are able to take the oxygen out of the atmosphere, bring it into your body, and get your muscles to use it. So the aerobic capacity of an average 35 to 40-year-old adult who is sedentary, so this is someone who does not exercise, is about 25 to 30 milliliter kilograms per minute on average. Um, people who have chronic diseases, particularly if you've had cancer and you've had to have chemotherapy or any kind of a long-term uh, illness or treatment, you're going to have a really reduced aerobic capacity. Um, and if you, I mean, the good news with that is you can end your cancer treatment with a 14 milliliter per kilogram peak aerobic capacity, but if you do some aerobic training, again, your body is so resilient and adaptable, you can, you can gain it back. So let's look at some activities in terms of uh, what, what they require out of you. Yes, how do you measure it or how do you get it measured? Some, um, some physiological labs can measure that for you. So um, I think at SF State they have a physiology lab program where uh, they can, you can go and have a peak VO2 test done. Um, it's not a fun test <laughs> to do, but if you really want to train seriously and you really wanted to, you know, to be able to, to have a very measured guide of your improvement, you could go and have that test done. Um, it, it really does involve you know, sticking a big tube in your mouth and having you exercise as hard as you possibly can until you say, I can't possibly do anymore. And then they're like, oh, okay, I guess that's your maximum. And yeah, so we can, there's, there's there's also, you can just do regular exercise testing and kind of put some things into formulas and give you very gross estimates. 
that's also a possibility. Um, so we said that resting was, was what we call a one-met activity. So doing absolutely nothing, just getting your metabolism, keeping your heart beating, that's one met. Walking around your house, about two mets. Um, any kind of little housework, three, and so on, you get the picture. So we said in the Harvard study of those 17,000 men that we followed from middle age into their 70s, they said that we noticed a good impact on their longevity if they were doing uh, more intensive physical activity. And that we didn't notice it in the, the people doing the lower level activities. And they said it had to be more than six METs. So if you want to see what that means, you know, look in the, the stair climbing, the easy biking, the, um, the, the jogging, that territory is what they were talking about, that they were counting as intense activity. Yeah? Is there any measurement for swimming? Swimming, swimming, again, depending on how vigorously you swim, swimming tends to be kind of in the three to four met activity range. Swimming has other benefits too. So right now, we're only talking about your aerobic the aerobic system. We're talking about your heart and your lungs and your ability to deliver oxygen out to your periphery. So swimming has a lot of other benefits beyond just that. It's hard to, to um, you have to be a fairly competitive swimmer. You have to be a pretty vigorous swimmer who, um, who doesn't stop. Uh, or take a lot of rests on the wall, who really continues to keep your heart rate elevated to get a lot of aerobic benefit out of swimming. Um, you have to remember, it's swimming. You've taken away gravity. You're on the horizon. Um, so it's kind of putting you at an advantage for a lot of things. It's a, it gets, it's, a harder, it's a harder type of exercise to really create the same vigorous effect. But it has a lot of other benefits. If you have arthritic joints, if you have tight muscles, if you have any injury, um, if you do want to exercise really intensity and not have any uh, risk of certain types of, of injury, and you can swim vigorously and sustain your heart rate, it's great for that. So and swimming is a fabulous exercise. It's far better than doing housework, I think. <laughs> I, I think, I think it's got to be more than housework. So, I mean, we're saying walking three miles per hour is 3.3, walking four miles per hour is five. So, um, I think that, you know, it has to be in the, like, three and a half to four mat range. And again, it depends on how vigorously you're going to swim. I mean, obviously, if I'm Michael Phelps, I'm not swimming at a four mat rate. You know, I'm, then I'm swimming and I'm probably burning somewhere in the range of 15 mets. So it's a lot of how much is, and then again, for each individual, what is intense and what is not intense is going to vary on how fit you are. So oops, I forgot to include Lance. So important to notice so that we really get this concept uh, straightened out in our head is that Lance Armstrong climbing a mountain requires about 20 mets. So that's pretty much absolute peak human metabolic uh, activity right there, okay? Now, let's look at um, creating the right dosage for what we want to do of our aerobic in intensity. Our stair climbing example, we said it takes about five mets to climb some stairs. Um, that's going to require that you have a baseline metabolic activity of 18, or aerobic capacity of 18 milliliters kilogram per minute. 
okay? So that's a very strenuous activity if you just got out of the hospital with a chronic illness, but that's a very manageable activity even if you're a sedentary middle-aged adult. Um, and just so you get the idea of what these numbers kind of mean. So we said that, that Lance Armstrong climbing the mountain in the Pyrenees in France, doing the Tour de France, it's like a 20 metabolic equivalent uh, activity. And we said that's like the peak output of human aerobic capacity. Okay, so that's gonna require that he has the heart and lungs that are strong enough for him to be able to have an aerobic capacity of 72 milliliters kilogram per minute. So if most of us are at 30 or 40, we understand why we can't climb a mountain the way he can, because we don't have anything near that capacity. We couldn't get up that hill if we wanted to. Our heart and lungs just don't have the power to suck in enough oxygen to get it out to our hardworking muscles to get us up that mountain. Um, but I put him in here as an example because like the, like the example of the cancer patients that I showed you, remember he was a cancer patient. So at some point, he also had a very low aerobic capacity. How did he get it back? He trained. It didn't come back by itself. He trained very, very hard. So that's the take home message. Um, in terms of your measuring the intensity of your exercise, it can be a lot easier than having all those numbers and going and getting a VO2 max test or any kind of physiological testing. So the great thing is, is that there is a lot of research because of all the research into um, cardiac disease and cardiac rehab programs, uh, they have found that essentially, if you feel like it's hard work aerobically, it probably is. If you feel like you're working as hard as you can, you probably are working at the top of your aerobic capacity. If it's not feeling like it's very hard, if it's really easy, if you can talk, if you're not sweating at all, it's probably more moderate activity. Um, and if it really just feels like you could do your activity, you know, so if you can sit on your stationary bicycle and read the newspaper and not sweat and really understand everything that newspaper article said, you're probably not exercising very hard. So you're not getting the benefits of the higher intensity city. Um, and we have different uh, ways of measuring that in, um, in the cardiac rehab world. There's something called uh, the rate of perceived exertion or the Borg scale. Um, and they used to have it um, go from 3.5 because they were equating it to, to METs. They used to have it go from 3.5 to like 15. Now they've made it so it's a lot simpler for people to use and they just ask people to, to rate it on a scale of zero to 10, how hard you think you're working. And like I said, pretty much how hard you think you're working tends to correlate pretty, pretty well with how hard you actually are when they're asking people to rate themselves on the Borg scale and at the same time measuring them physiologically with what's going on. So you can actually just monitor yourself without a lot of numbers to think about. Um, if you wanted to see the, the, a copy of the, the Borg scale, the way it works, um, that website has it. So, and you, you can print it out for free. Um, but you know there's also, in terms of checking your maximum heart rate, 220 minus your age, it's a very gross measure. 
if you if you're fit you usually need to add about 12 beats per minute to what you're calling your maximum if you're uh, sedentary and haven't really exercised much you need to, to take away 12 beats when you're calling it your maximum um, and again low intensity are those two to four metabolic level activities uh, 20 to 40 percent of your maximum heart rate moderate intensity is about four to six mets so moderate intensity that's good that's your swimming right there um, and that's at like a 40 to 60 percent of your maximum heart rate higher intensity where we're really running up the hills and feeling breathless and working up a sweat um, that's usually happening at around 60 to 80 percent of your maximum heart rate and that's at least like we said with the Harvard study that's at least a six metabolic activity so some general fitness guidelines low intensity and this comes from the American College of Sports Medicine and these are guidelines they just kind of put out there for everyone um, if you're going to exercise at a low intensity if it's really not uh, your thing to go out and work up a sweat if you really need to read your newspaper articles or research studies while you're on your stationary bike that's fine you just need to exercise longer to really gain some benefit so 60 minutes every day at lower intensity Medium intensity, uh, you can get away with less time invested, 30 to 60 minutes, three to five times a week. And the higher intensity running up the mountain is uh, 20 to 60 minutes, three to five times a week. And that's just a guideline I give to everyone, again, to get all those preventative medicine benefits. Um, if you want more specific guidelines, I put these, these websites um, on here because uh, they, they each have some very good uh, guidelines to follow. Uh, the Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology, the American Heart Association, American College of Sports Medicine. Okay, but we said there are four components to any good exercise program, and the, the heart and the lungs and the aerobic capacity is just one component. We also want to have some strength training and flexibility exercise in there as well, because remember at the beginning we said it's, it's the powerful use of muscles, it's muscle force that builds bone density. Um, so you don't have to join a gym you really can just get a couple of free weights you really can just do a few simple strength training exercises you do want to try to get muscle groups all around your body if you're used to using the muscle groups in the front of your body try training your back um, one to two sets of eight to twelve repetitions two to four days a week is usually enough strength training to uh, give you some benefits so that's actually not too bad the components of exercise, we said the aerobic that gives you the endurance, uh, strengthening, working the muscles you need, balance. Think about balance activities. Again, that tends to be uh, something to add in that is very helpful as you grow older. Uh, can you stand on one leg? Can you walk on a line without holding on to it? Another good way to test your balance is to know if you can walk and turn away and look at something and not misstep at all. Um, and then in terms of just looking and uh, assessing your own flexibility, you know, can you touch your toes? Okay. And so for a lot of people, you know, an exercise program seems like medicine. It seems like something you have to do. It's not necessarily something you want to do. It's something you're doing to get all those good preventative medicine benefits. You feel obligated. So at what point is it no longer like a medicine? At what point is it something you just really enjoy doing in your life? 
Um, it, if you're new to exercise, it really takes two weeks just to get a feel for it at all. Uh, so if you quit before two weeks, you're, you, you're constantly starting over. It really takes six weeks of just doing it consistently to establish a routine, but it takes a full six months to really regain and build muscle tissue. So if you have goals towards osteoporosis, if you have goals towards having better strength, if you have goals towards changing your body composition and losing weight, you really need to look at six months and uh, not six weeks. Um, after a year of full adoption, it should be sort of part of your routine. And really, if you can stick to a program for, I think, two years, by the end of two years, you're going to really start to feel like it's something you can't live without. It's, then at that point, it really becomes part of your life's routine. Um, and tr it's important to know that it's a lot more difficult to, to become fit if you're sedentary and you want to develop fitness. That's the hard part. So the investment is the really hard part. Once you get there, you can kind of skate along pretty easily. You can do a lot less um, and, and still have a lot of the benefits. But you have to get there first, which takes about two years. Any exercise program that you develop or adopt, you really want to try to find something that is simple and enjoyable that you can do consistently. Um, if you enjoy swimming, swimming should be your exercise. Because if you enjoy it, you are more likely to get out there and do it. Um, Aerobic exercise can be accumulated in short sessions throughout the day. So if you're really someone who's crunched for time, just find a couple of walking patterns you can adopt in the day. Find some stairs you can climb. Walk to your destinations as much as you can instead of driving. Or join a group if you feel like having that obligation to the group is going to help you be consistent and the socialization will help make it more enjoyable for you. And then in terms of monitoring what you do, remember the warm-up and cool-down are really important. And in terms of, of knowing if you're doing too much, the cool-down is a really key thing to look at. So if you can monitor your heart rate or think about how hard your heart is pounding or how fast your rate of breathing is, um, people who are fit recover very quickly at the end of their intensive exercise. So people who are fit exercise and then they stop and within two minutes their heart rate goes very back goes close down to baseline again. People who are not fit takes a very long time for their heart rate to calm back down again after they stopped exercising. So that's a good indicator of how well your fitness program is working for you. You really want to try to vary your routines if you can, especially if you're trying anything of a higher intensity. So if you're in any kind of higher intensity exercise program like running, like vigorous gym workouts, you really want to try to vary it so that you don't injure yourselves. Um, hydration, again, is really key. And remember, uh, your increases in benefits are linear. However, progression is not necessarily. So you cannot do more, do more, do more, do more day after day. Our progressions tend to be you have an elevation, you're doing a little more, you're a little more fit, and then you're at a plateau for a little while. 
and then you get a little more fit and then you're at a plateau for a while and then you might have some bad days and then you know and you're not able to do quite as much and that's okay so you don't do quite as much because it's a bad day and then you're starting to feel better again and you go so it's never one exact straight line um, you have to really go with the ebbs and flows of how you're feeling and what your body's doing in terms of is it building up or is it recovering and resting. Um, but you just want that overall long-term picture to get better and better. All right, and so this is the part where I put you to work a little bit and have you think about motivation. Um, because like I said at the beginning, a lot of people know that exercise is beneficial. The hard part is actually following the advice. So think about what would motivate you to make the lifestyle change. And if you can, a really simple exercise is just to sit down and write out at points in your life, you've probably at some time been a successful exerciser. You've, you've had maybe a period of time when you did have a consistent exercise routine and you followed it and it went well. Um, and just to think about for a minute, what made that work well? Was it the type of activity you were doing? Was it how easy the location of the activity was? Was it your schedule? Was it the weather? Was it your group? Think about what it was that helped you get out there and, and be a regular exercise person. If you don't exercise, if it's just something you've sort of contemplated from time to time because you've heard it's good for you, but you've never really been able to follow a regular routine, then also sit down and make a list and think about what is it that's holding you back? Is it weather? Is it schedule? Is it lack of friends doing the same activity? Is it you know uh, not really liking to have to get into the sweatshirt and the t-shirt and the get grungy? Uh, so and and then start to strategize for yourself. How can you overcome come those some of those barriers? Okay, and then I put some resources on here because um, I think it's always good to have. Uh, have a book or two or at least a website to be able to refer to if you've never exercised before and you're really looking for something to guide you along the way. Um, the first book by uh, Eric Hyden, uh, Faster, Better, Stronger, is really a great, I think it's a great exercise book for anyone who is just starting out to exercise um, or even has already been a regular exerciser. So that's a really good, it gives you um, a self-test to do to sort of determine for yourself how fit you are. It asks you to follow this little battery of tests and it gives you a kind of graph to put yourself on and then it gives you uh, some really specific advice on the exercise program to follow based on how well you do on that uh, little self-test. If you're more interested in some of the scientific background to um, exercise testing and the exercise recommendations. That's the website for the American College of Sports Medicine. Um, and if you're already an athlete, if you're athletic and you're looking for some variety or some more challenging activities to do, that last book there, the core performance, uh, has some really challenging exercise programs in it. So again, I want to come back to the guidelines to sort of wrap everything up because I think these are the rules to live by and to remember in terms of getting benefits from exercise and starting an exercise program. So if you have young people in your life or around you and they're not active and they're sedentary, try to inspire them all you can to get out there because this is it. You do have that one window of time in your life when you're building your bone 
bone density and your muscle mass, and that can actually uh, be a bit of an insurance policy for you for later in life, even if you become less active. Um, you're going to prolong your life expectancy and reduce your risk for pretty much any chronic disease if you start in a regular exercise program. It is preventative medicine. It's good if you can adopt a program that develops all four comp components of aerobic capacity, strength, flexibility, and balance. Even a little is better than nothing. So if you, if sometimes what happens is people um, have really grandiose schemes or they have very elaborate exercise programs and they're kind of get in an all or nothing mode of thinking. So I don't have time today to do my one and a half hour multi Pilates strengthening aerobic exercise program. So I'm not going to do anything because I don't have that hour and a half. But you actually get a lot more benefit out of saying, okay, I don't have an hour and a half, but I do have 20 minutes when I could walk to my next meeting instead of drive and that will help me get something in today. And that kind of thinking really, uh, gives you a lot more benefit than um, feeling like you, you need to do something more elaborate. Nothing is not good. Something is always better than nothing in the exercise world. Um, you want to cross-chain to avoid injury and remember the warm-up and the cool-down phase of your exercise session, particularly if you're trying anything of high intensity and hydration are always important. And there's a lot of references here if you're into reading research articles. And um, I'd like to take any questions if you have any. Thank you. I mean, I think honestly, just about anything is worth a try. My only um, reservation on those types of things is, again, a lot of times, particularly personal trainers, I find they tend to want to take you from that sedentary point, knowing that the benefit comes from more high-intensity activity and more that you're going to feel like you're really getting, you know, a bang for your buck by being up here at the high-intensity level, and they try super fast to bring you from that low sedentary point up to the high intensity level. And usually it's too fast for most people. And then you end up with an injury and then you end up hating exercise even more than you did before you started. And then you stop doing everything in this. So you end up in that, like I tried to describe towards the end, you end up in that awful sort of, it's all or nothing mode of thinking about exercise. Um, when it's a very gradual progression, actually, and start, especially if you're going from sedentary level of activity, you really want to start out with lower intensity stuff and gradually build it up over time. Um, yeah, so I, wa and I do, I watch, I live in the Presidio, so I see boot camps going on outside my front door all the time, and um, I watch them, because I'm always really fascinated to see, like, what kinds of things trainers have people doing, and I almost routinely see trainers giving people things that are way too hard for that person's ability level, um, and I, I, I get why they're doing it and I appreciate because it it's true the benefit comes from higher intensity activity and I know they understand that you're paying them and so they want to come up with something snazzy. Um, but the problem is is that you know you're not going to be able to stick with that. You're, you're not going to have that consistency over time. You're going to burn out, you're going to feel over fatigued, you're going to get injured. 
Um, and I don't see a lot of, of attention paid to the gradual progression it needs to take. What might work well, though, particularly if a group thing like that is very motivating for you, or you go and try something like that and you feel like it, you like it, you know, if they offer it three days a week, you know, maybe see if you can work out a deal where you go once a week, and that would be your high-intensity component of your exercise program for the day or for the week. And then for the rest of the week, you know, you would do maybe some lower-intensity things to preserve your body and to still give you the benefit and, and motivate you to continue over, uh, you know, years of time rather than a few months. No, I agree. So I think one of the best organizations to offer um, fitness programs for uh, a spectrum of age groups is the YMCA. And the YMCAs in San Francisco um, really do have a, an awesome range of activities. Um, the Presidio YMCA, I know in particular, has some. So does the Jewish Community Center. Um, so I would really veer towards those organizations. Those tend to be much more um, in tune, you know, as opposed to Gold's Gym or something like that. There is, um, there are different wellness centers at UCSF. There are different wellness programs um, through uh, the Backar Fitness out at Mission Bay. I know they have a lot of programs, including there's, um, there's a water aerobics class for people with arthritis. Um, and I'm not sure if that's just low cost or free. I know that the um, uh, Arthritis Foundation of America has a lot of uh, good information on exercise for, for older people um, and programs that are free. Um, and, you know, the problem is, is finding things that are free. It's actually quite challenging. Uh, but, yeah, the YMCA can still be a really good resource, I think, for, for at least some of that. Yes. The San Francisco Department of Park and, and Rec, have, they also have a lot of uh, free activities. Yeah, so probably one of the, mo one of the things that I really um, am somewhat passionate about with exercising is that it be efficient, because I have a very busy time schedule, and I don't like sort of the main focus of my day being I have to block out two hours to exercise. So I always look for really efficient ways to train. I want to spend 20 minutes in the gym, not two hours in the gym. Um, and yes, interval training is one of the most efficient ways you can improve your aerobic capacity and your fitness level in general. So what he's talking about is you're doing an activity like swimming. You're doing your activity for, let's say, a block of 40 minutes of time. So what you would do is you do 10 minutes at a low intensity just to warm up. And then you would hit it hard. You'd work as hard as you can or just a little bit below as hard as you can for one to two minutes. And then you'd cool off and go easy, low intensity for uh, two or three minutes until you felt like your heart rate had really recovered. And then boom, you would hit it again for a minute or two, really as hard as you can. And then you'd go back down to your low intensity and recover for just a couple minutes. Yeah, and then you'd, and you'd do that for like five set, you know, five repetitions. Um, which would then eventually, and then 10 minutes of cool down, and probably overall you would have been working aerobically for 30 or 40 minutes. Um, but you just put in some bursts of very high intensity activity there. Um, and yes, it's been shown in lots of research studies that uh, that's a very efficient way to train yourself aerobically. You get fast aerobic capacity with that. 
So if you wanted to make your swimming more intensive than just a housework level activity, you would try that. You just try and you're doing your regular swim, say, okay, now I'm gonna go fast for a minute. And you just try to make it really hard for a minute. And then you could let yourself cool off a little bit and then boom, you'd hit it hard again for a minute. You know, it, it just, I think part of it is actually psychological. So a lot of, in terms of when you decide to stop exercising because you feel tired, actually has nothing to do with physiologically your muscles and bones and lungs are getting tired. Usually when you are telling yourself to stop because you're getting tired, it's actually this psychological process that's pretty fascinating. So essentially we're hardwired in our brains to always have reserve, right? And so our brains have, you know, sort of metabolic and biochemical mechanisms set into them that, um, that tell us to stop even well before our bodies are worn out. Uh, so I think part of the intensity training or the interval training allows you to work at that very high intensity um, uh, and, and get there, you know, and not feel too uncomfortable doing it. And so you get the benefit of being at high intensity without your brain telling you, stop, 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 stop. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.